0: Dealing with expats is a very niche area and that's not just in dealing with the banks and finance, it's across all areas. The thing that really impressed me about Expatland was just having the organisation of expat professionals being brought together.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode in our podcast series, Moving to Expatland. In today's episode, we explore how the Expatland Global Network can help expats plan the journey to Sydney. My guest today is Alicia Inglis. Alicia is the leader and founder of Stone Turn, an award winning boutique mortgage and property investment advice company in Sydney. Having lots of experience in property investment and specialising in working with expats, Alicia loves sharing advice and information to help others. Before starting her business, Alicia spent a number of years with several firms, including Deloitte, where she worked in tax. Alicia holds a Masters of Commerce and a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Sydney. One of the first members of our expatland team in Sydney Alicia is a fantastic professional and it is terrific to be able to welcome Alicia to the show today. Hi Alicia and thank you for joining us.
0: Hi John, thank you very much for having me.
1: You're most welcome. So please tell us a bit about you and and where you grew up.
0: Well, I grew up in country Victoria, a place called Wodonga, which is part of um Albury Wodonga on the border of Victoria and New South Wales. I spent my youth there until I was 18 and moved to Sydney to attend university.
1: That's good. And so you went into tax and you worked at Deloitte?
0: That's right. I I studied um, economics at university, which I really loved and enjoyed, and I wanted to do something with an economic focus. And so I went into corporate tax at Deloitte, which was um, transfer pricing, which is a very specialist area with an economic bent, I guess. And I was there and I didn't particularly love the accounting side of things. A friend of mine who had started his own mortgage broking business by accident back in the wizard Homeland days, uh, he convinced me to become a mortgage broker. And so I thought I'll try it for a year, see what happens. And here we are 15, 16 years later.
1: Wow. And so what's it been like being in business for yourself?
0: I love it. I've always loved it. And I come from a family of self employed people, you know, several generations back. So it was something that was always, I guess, encouraged and and a part of our family. So but I love working on all aspects of the business and getting to take part in all aspects of the business and all the different challenges that it poses, you know, and and building something that's yours and your ideas is very rewarding.
1: And you're focused on expats coming to Australia and Sydney. Tell us a bit about why that segment of market interests you.
0: So I basically kind of fell into expat lending probably about 11, 12 years ago. Some very good friends of mine moved to Singapore. And I went over to visit them a few times and just through getting to know their friends and people in Singapore, you know, I realized there was quite a large need for expat focused lending. As far as the banks are concerned, expat lending is a little bit more complicated than usual. There's a few more layers and considerations to take into account. And it's not something that expats generally have great access to information and knowledge of the process the product policies and how it works and so there's a gap there to really help people give them accurate and timely advice on to how All they right. could access finance in australia as an expat or you know arriving here as an expat
1: that sounds very familiar to how i spotted a gap in the expat tax market between australia and singapore when i started now please tell us what are some of the challenges that an expat faces getting into the australian property market
0: so as an expat depending on whether you're still based overseas and have foreign income or back here in australia you know there's basically how the banks work um what their policies are as far as banks are concerned their products you know that is their interest rates and the features of the finance products that they offer you are quite similar. What is quite different between them is their lending policies or credit policies. So how they decide on how to lend people and how they assess your income and what they believe is acceptable income from their own internal perspective does differ Mm -hmm. significantly from one lender to the next. And what one bank will do, one bank just would never do. So it's trying to navigate how Do you know how much you can borrow from one lender to the next? Will they accept like if you've got US tax returns or different types of income? And having access to that knowledge because banks don't provide that information freely. You can't look it up on a website or anything like that. And because it is so specialist and niche, it's not something that all mortgage brokers necessarily have access to. It's the kind of thing that you need to be doing it all day, every day to be across all the different policy niches, across all the different lenders, which is also big banks, small banks, and also non-bank lenders as well. So to be across mm-hmm. all of that requires, I guess, a you know, an expertise in that area. So it is hard to access information on the lending policies and then to get accurate, I guess, feedback in terms of what you can do so that you can then plan forward what your purchase is going to be. You kind of need to have that overview up front of, okay, well, what can I borrow and what can I purchase before you can even really start the process of pre-approvals and house hunting and things like that.
1: I imagine that most expats coming to Sydney will have overseas income and overseas assets. Generally speaking, how do banks assess those assets in terms of providing security for a loan in Australia?
0: So with overseas assets and income, quite often you'll find that some or most lenders won't even accept the overseas income. So if it's from a share portfolio they might completely ignore it altogether or some will require multiple years worth of income as evidence and then they might average it they'll often shade the income so they'll only take a percentage of that income it might be 60 70 or 80% to account for you know exchange rate fluctuations and they'll definitely factor in overseas liabilities but may not count the income so you kind of double penalized because you might have, you know, some mortgages in the US, but you've got US rental income, but they'll ignore the rental income, but they will actually take into account that liability. And with liabilities, whether you're they have them overseas or in Australia, they will actually sensitize the rate of repayment. So if you've got a mortgage in the US and your interest rate is two percent per annum, for example, Banks, and this is actually a government regulation, banks will actually assess your ability to repay that existing liability at a higher interest rate, for example, 6%. Wow. That makes a significant difference. So that actually came out of the Royal Commission that we had into banking. So it's a responsible lending requirement. So essentially what ASIC and the government regulator wants you to do is wants things to do is to make sure that people can afford to meet their liabilities at much higher interest rates. So obviously, we've got historically low interest rates at one point on um, the average standard variable rate over a 15-year period was closer to 7%. So I think the government regulators want to see that people can afford those repayments To obviously down the track when interest rates do rise again, that we're not going to have a lot of borrowers in trouble. So people often don't realise that those interest rates are sensitised, and that's with all existing mortgages and all new mortgages going forward. So it really does have an impact on borrowing capacity. And if you've got that in addition to overseas income being shaded or not even factored in, it does significantly impact borrowing capacity. borrowers so there's a lot of different variances to factor in there
1: it sounds like it does australia have a credit score system so they sort of ask you about your credit score like some countries do
0: look most countries have what's called a positive credit reporting regime australia has historically had a negative credit reporting regime whereby the only thing that really counted was if you had missed repayments or defaulted on liabilities, whereas in other countries, you kind of have to build up a credit score to show that you know, you're know you worth lending, you're a good borrower. We haven't historically had that in Australia, which can work in the favour of expats arriving here. So it doesn't really matter if you don't have a credit history. They are trying to move towards more of a positive credit reporting regime where you do build up a credit score and you currently do receive a credit score as far as the banks are concerned when they check your credit rating but currently it really still only matters if you've got a poor credit history right. yeah, if you've right. missed repayments and things like that.
1: And so how would you help an expat coming to Sydney?
0: So we have a two-step process. The first step that we undertake is it's called an an initial assessment. So that's where I have a chat to the new expat and go through their current financial situation, you know, the history of their employment, what they're currently doing now, what their income looks like, their full asset and liability position, whether that's in Australia or overseas, get an overview of what they're looking to achieve what they want to buy, where they want to buy their budget, what they're comfortable in making in terms of repayments, because that's important because what a bank will lend you can often be quite different from what you're comfortable in borrowing. And we kind of do a broad, big picture perspective of, look, based on your current financial situation and, and what you want to do, here's what you can currently achieve. This is what, basically lenders will lend to you and and this is what that looks like in terms of purchase price loan amount borrowing capacity and repayments if they're then happy with what that looks like that ticks the boxes um, on their goals we then have a more detailed discussion on you know preferences for banking setting up accounts how they like to manage their money product requirements and when they're ready to do a pre-approval we'll then put together detailed, um, recommendations called a credit proposal, and that has detailed which lender we recommend based on all their requirements, what they've told us, and then a comparison of lenders and loan structure, product details, negotiated interest rates, all the details that they require in order to then lodge an application for pre-approval. But the first step is, is simply a big picture strategy. What are you wanting to do? Here's very basically what we think you will be able to do based on current lender policy.
1: Okay, that seems clear enough. Now let's turn to the Expatland Global Network. What was it that made you want to join the Sydney E-Team?
0: The thing that really impressed me about Expatland was just having the organisation of expat professionals being brought together. Dealing with expats is a very niche area and that's not just in dealing with the banks and finance. It's across all areas. So often there's a bit of crossover for me with clients in terms of the tax side of things. Cause obviously I'm talking to people about their future plans and maybe buying investment properties and things like that. And I'm obviously not a tax agent or a financial planner. But there's often during a conversation, I'll say to people, well, you really need to speak to an accountant or financial planner in order to complete the process or understand what your tax implications might be. So to be able to work regularly with people that you know and trust who are experts in that area is fantastic because we all work very well together and it means that my process can become a complete process in terms of what the client's needs are and know their expertise makes it a lot more seamless for myself and the client and everyone involved.
1: That's good to hear. Please give us an example of that seamless interaction in practice.
0: Yes, well, perfect example. We've had someone recently who has moved from the US to Australia. They're self-employed. In the US, they've been here since, I think, December 2020. The male applicant is a US citizen and his wife is an Australian citizen. They want to buy a property here. I was introduced to them by Matt Markarian from CST Tax, who's preparing the tax. I think know him. You, think I might know you-, him. <laughs> you might know him. You might know him. You've met him once or twice. He's preparing the tax returns. Australia and giving some tax advice and so the client has multiple properties in the US and also has a very successful business in the US and they're planning the tax returns at the moment and my job is to work out basically you know who's going to lend to um, self-employed applicants with US tax returns and one of them being a US citizen which is I guess another layer of complexity So that Matt can then factor that into the tax planning and they can look at buying a home, which might be in the next 12 months.
1: Thanks. That's a great example of tax and finance working together. Now, do you think an expat is better off trying to buy a home before they arrive in Sydney or just waiting until they've been here for a while? What's your advice?
0: If it's something that they're going to be living in longer term, there's a couple of factors here to consider. Firstly, their income. So they're overseas and they're in a current role that has bonus or commission income that needs to be factored in and they might be changing to a different role with the same employer, for example, in Australia. But for banks to factor in things like bonus and commission income, they'll often only consider it when they're still in the job overseas. So in that example, they might be better buying whilst they're still overseas because if you've got bonus income, most banks will only take two years' worth of bonus history. And if you arrive here, even if it's with the same employer, some banks won't lend and factor in that bonus and then you have to wait two years to meet their policy for bonus income. And it's funny because with banks, there are some things that most people say, well, logically I'm with the same employer, so I'm going to continue getting bonuses. But banks are very particular on their lending and they very much will stick to what their rules are. So it's important to understand their rules and work within those rules. But in saying that, the other thing is if it's going to be a long-term family home, I think it's really important to know where you want to live because we often have expats we speak to and, and they're really just not sure and, you know, schooling and school locations are very important. Mm-hmm. So often I would say yeah. if there's no other particular rush, then you're probably better off renting initially and getting to know the areas so that you're comfortable with you know, knowing where you want to buy and where you want to live.
1: That's good advice. I think Sydney's enormous in just getting from one side of Sydney to the other is also, takes a bit of doing.
0: The only other addition I would have to that though is if it's a returning expat, an Aussie coming back home and of course, you know, generally have a very specific idea of where they want to live. So in that instance, often you'll find working with the buyer's agents as part of expat land, for example, will often be able to you know, do all the house hunting and, and search for them before they're, they're ready to come back. So we also see a lot of that if they particularly know where they want to be living.
1: That's a great point. If you are returning back to a city you know well. Um, so does the Sydney team have a buyers agent?
0: Yes, we've got Rich Harvey. Rich is fantastic. Rich has, I think, over 30 years worth of experience he's actually um, an economist by training as well so he has a lot of useful information and knowledge about the property market generally speaking and he's an award-winning buyers agent he's he's fantastic
1: well that's great so there you have it everyone you have finance, buyer's agent, and tax. So, I mean, I think that's just three members of the Sydney team who can help you out. Maybe turning away from the expat land team, just some uh, cultural stuff or, and lifestyle stuff. How do you think an expat from a cultural perspective should try to fit into an Aussie work environment?
0: Well, I mean, obviously with the pandemic at the moment, things are a little bit more unusual. Obviously, potentially getting used to working from home is quite common for us at the moment, but uh, I would say in terms of Aussies and getting to work with Aussies, as long as people have a relaxed attitude, I think as Aussies we're all pretty relaxed and easygoing and um, as long as you can talk with cricket, AFL, rugby and don't mind to have a beer on the weekend. sport a sport, if you you don't mind a bit of sport um, and you don't mind a beer, then you'll do fine.
1: If we look at some of the challenges an expat's going to face moving into Sydney, what would you say some of those are?
0: I think the biggest challenge if you have a family is is working out, you know, which schools your children should be attending or which ones you want your children to attend. I know that we have a shortage of rental properties, generally speaking, and I know that through, you know, dealing with some of the um, expat land members who do the the moving and relocation services, they often talk about the difficulty of finding suitable properties within specific school zones. So that's definitely something that some of our experts in the expat land can assist with before people have moved. That, you know, with Sydney, the traffic, I guess. So with Sydney, it's all about which area you want to live in to be able to get to work, for your kids' schooling. And if you do want to find a property, it is a very competitive market at the moment for buying property, um, for a property you want to live in. So, again, I'd probably suggest your best option is dealing with a buyer's agent to help you navigate that as well.
1: And what are some of the benefits you'd tell someone listening who's thinking about moving to Australia or moving to Sydney?
0: Well, definitely I think coming to Sydney, the beaches. You can't beat the beaches, the city beaches. We've got lots of beaches. Um, The beautiful weather, it's lovely, mild, warm weather. Throughout most of the year, um, we have lots of beautiful restaurants and dining is fantastic. The food is amazing and we're extremely lucky with yeah, all of our dining and fresh food options. And we're just generally being able to travel within Australia. We've got an absolutely beautiful country with many gorgeous places to visit and see. We are removed, obviously, from the rest of the world in many ways, but we've just got such a beautiful country and culture and plenty of open spaces, and it's a great place to raise children.
1: Absolutely. Sydney's a great place to live. Perhaps give us some suggestions to help an expat make friends when they get to Sydney.
0: I think Australians are generally pretty sociable bunch and if you're free to join different sporting groups or social groups or getting involved in social groups within work there's lots of i know on facebook Um, There's lots of groups for mums groups I know that I've personally been a part of that often catch up. And I think it's just kind of coming and getting involved with locally the sporting or or social groups that are available um, because there's always someone who's keen to meet people and catch up and socialize. So yeah, you've just got to get out there.
1: So away from work, what are some of the things you like to do?
0: Well, I've got two small children, so I spend a lot of time at the park and a lot of time at the beach, which we're lucky. We live near <laughs> Bondi Beach. We're walking distance yeah. to Bondi Beach, which is beautiful. Yeah. But pre-children skiing, I love skiing. We've got skiing here, a few different ski resorts in Australia between Sydney and Melbourne that people can go to. But um, cooking, I love cooking and, yeah, just hanging out with the family basically.
1: So your hobbies are your children. I get that. But yeah. That's the major hobby. <laughs> yes,
0: children and eating.
1: Wonderful. So what's next for you in Stone Turn?
0: Well, look, we've had an amazing year in terms of business growth. So for us, it's really about continuing to grow the team so that we can help more clients and provide more service. We've currently got a team of, I think there's eight of us doing all different parts of the process. But for me, it's about, yes, growing more of the team so that we can help more clients in particularly expat clients because as I said before, they are more complex as far as the banks are concerned. So having more team and more resources to be able to service the needs of expats would be great because there are so many people, you know, overseas or living overseas or moving to Australia who really need advice. So that's where we see the business going.
1: Thank you, Alicia. I really appreciate your time today. You're a great team member of our Sydney e-team and I think our listeners heard your passion for what you do and how you can help them on their move to Sydney. Thanks again.
0: Thank you, John. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you all for listening to us today. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to showcase how our members can help you move overseas. My name is John McCarian, and I'm always ready to hear from you with any questions that you have please contact me via our website expatland.com enjoy the journey